Let's give it up for our choir one more time. Boy, wow, awesome. I've said it many times, I'll say it again. They lip sync better than any choir I've ever had in any church I've ever pastored. We're studying um, the identity of Jesus in our series. Today we will get into part three. Let's go back and look quickly at what we've already talked about in a series entitled, Who is Jesus? Uh, We discovered, uh, not to our surprise, that if you want to know who Jesus is, you need to go to the Bible. The Bible is the best place. Really, it's the only place to find out who Jesus is. And then we talked about how those verses in the New Testament where he talked about who he was himself, where he told us who he was, and we'll investigate that further today. In the last message, John chapter 8 is where we went, and we looked at there um, a situation where Jesus was speaking to the Jewish religious leaders as well as some people who probably in our modern culture today we would call them seekers. There are people in this congregation this morning that are at different levels in their walk with God. Some of you are mature, developed Christians who have been in church for a while and you've taken advantage of the opportunities to learn and go to classes and develop your walk with the Lord. You've developed a prayer life that is healthy and strong. You have... um, made yourself available to serve in the kingdom. You've been willing to roll up your sleeves and uh, you've been willing to uh, get that pan of water and wash feet and bless people and help people. Jesus said, I've come to serve, not to be served. And you have bought into that vision. And so you are developed and mature and strong in your Christian life. Then we have some people who know Christ, but they haven't developed yet. Uh, You know, Just because you've been a Christian a long time doesn't mean you've grown very much. It is by taking advantage, again, of those opportunities to grow. And not just looking at the church and saying, well, what is the church going to offer me that will help me grow? And certainly that ought to be a part of your life, your developmental life spiritually. But taking personal responsibility and investigating yourself and saying, what books do I need to be reading and what does my daily life need to look like so that I will be a better Christian tomorrow than I am today? So take personal responsibility for that. We have some people here this morning who have not yet received Christ because they're still investigating who he is and investigating his claims and what the Bible says about him and whether they even believe the Bible or not. And you know what? We don't judge you. We're glad you're here because every one of us had to come through that process. And so uh, we welcome you into our church today. Uh, I'll tell you one of the things that we believe here at Whitley Church that um, causes some people to struggle is that you can actually belong to us, belong here before you believe. And by that I mean that uh, we don't want you to feel like an outsider until you buy into everything we're teaching and preaching. Uh, We welcome you here. You belong here, uh, even while you're investigating. And the church said, amen, amen. Uh, Wouldn't it be uh, strange for uh, uh, someone who's wounded and hurting and needing something uh, physically to go to the emergency room and and, uh, they'd be met at the door and say, you don't belong here. 
Everybody in here is healed. Everybody in here is clean. Everybody in here is fine. Nobody in here struggles. When you get like that, then you can come in and belong here. That would be very odd. The church is not a club. The church is a hospital. It's a hospital, and the people said again, amen. amen. Uh, but in John 8, Jesus provided for us there the most authentic, audacious, profound uh, statement about who he is when he said to those Jewish leaders and those seekers, he said, you guys remember Abraham, don't you? And of course they did. I mean, Abraham was the father of Israel, but he's also a, the father of the Arabs as well. And we talked about that, how that he could not wait for God to fulfill his promise to bring a son through he and Sarah. So he had a relationship with his handmaiden and uh, Ishmael was produced from that relationship. And out of Ishmael came the Arab nation out of disobedience in Abraham's life. And then Isaac, finally came uh, from Abraham and Sarah and the Jewish nation uh, came of course from that obedience to God and uh, these uh, two peoples uh, battle very very much even to this very day over in the Middle East and they always will battle until the Prince of Peace comes and brings peace to the Middle East. Now, how many of you know he's coming? Jesus is coming. We preach that here. And uh, this past summer did a, a thorough examination of the coming of the Lord in the last days and uh, some of the things that would be happening there. But Jesus was standing there and he was talking to these religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders. Now keep in mind that these Jewish religious leaders did not accept him, did not receive him and uh, did not uh, appreciate a lot of the things he was saying, but uh, he's going to cross the line here in just a minute. But these other people are, are, are wanting to know, who are you and, and these miracles that you do? And so Jesus brings up Abraham, and they, go, they all go, yeah, yeah, we know Abraham. He says, well, I want you to know that before Abraham was, I am. Now, when he said that, they knew what he meant. And then y'all remember in that study, we went back to Exodus and looked at Moses. And for those of you who are new to the church, Charlton Heston, you know who that is. And, uh, and so Moses said, Moses said uh, on the backside of the desert, the burning bush, uh, when God was talking to him, he said, God, I know you're telling me to go back to Egypt. He said, but who will I say sent me? He said, who will I say to Yule Brenner? I mean, I've got to talk to Yule Brenner, Pharaoh. He said, so, some of y'all hadn't seen the Ten Commandments, I can tell. And so, and so he says, I want you to tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. Tell him that God sent you. Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, tell him I sent you. Well, how will he react? Don't worry about it. When he hears that, uh, you may not see him tremble, but he'll be shaking on the inside. He said, well, then I've got to tell the Jews that I've come to lead them out of Egyptian bondage. What do I tell them? Tell them the same thing. Tell them that Jehovah sent you. Well, in John 8, Jesus is saying to them, the I am back in the day of Abraham, the I am back in the day of Moses, I am that I am. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am God in human flesh. Now what we want to do today is we want to unfold this 
uh, uh, thought of I am, what does it mean, and, and, and look at what Jesus is saying. What are the realities of this uh, claim that Jesus made of being I am? So let's go through the book of John and some other chapters, and then we're going to focus in on Mark chapter 2. In John 6, Jesus says, and I'm not going to give you the verse because I want you to go home and dig that up. Don't dig it up while I'm preaching. Dig it up when you get home. John 6, he says, I am. See those first two words? I am, I am. There it is, I am. But then he's going to give us a facet of that I am. He's going to give us one of the layers of that I am. So he says, I am the bread. I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Look at the words of Jesus. People say, I tell you, Pastor, I just don't understand the Bible. You know what? When you say that, you're telling me you're not reading it because that's pretty easy to understand right there. I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Then he goes all the way back to Exodus and he says, your forefathers back in Exodus, when they came out of the land of Egypt, when Moses led them out of that Egyptian bondage, he said they ate manna in the wilderness. That was bread from heaven too. But after a while, even with that bread from heaven, they what? Died. But if you eat of the bread I offer you, you will what? So have you eaten of that bread today? You said, well, what does that mean? Have you recognized that you need bread spiritual bread and have you realized that Jesus is that bread and have you come to him and given him your life if you have not we hope you'll do that today we go from John 6 let's go over to John 8 we find those first two words again I am I am I am I am what the light I am the light of the world who leads the darkened soul. And that looks like, when you see those words darkened soul, that looks like you're talking about some really, really, really bad person. Some really, really uh, perverted, evil, violent person. But a darkened soul is simply a soul that has not yet welcomed Jesus in. So if you're here today, you might be saying, well, I'm a pretty good person, so I think I'm okay i got to tell you, without Christ, you're dark on the inside. As a matter of fact, without Christ in your life, the Bible says you are dead and you need to be resurrected, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. He says in John 8, I am the light of the world who leads the darkened soul into what kind of light? Divine. Now, that's God light. That's God light. There's a lot of light. As a matter of fact, the New Age movement today talks about light and enlightenment. Well, that kind of light is not what you need. What you need is what this verse is talking about in John 8. I lead you into the divine light of what? Truth and what? Salvation. See, every one of you here needs salvation. I need salvation. We, we, a lot of people think we were born perfect, and then we messed up, and then we need a Savior because we messed up. I got great news for you. As I build your self-esteem today, you were born messed up. All right? You were born messed up. You were born needing a Savior. Now, our modern, our modern culture tells us, you know, uh, that when we were babies, our mama wouldn't let us push our mush off the high, high chair, you know, and so it warped our little psyche. And now we need help. No, you were born warped. 
You, <laughs> y'all feeling good about yourself? Um, you need a Savior. And he says, I am the light. I am the light of truth and what? Salvation. Salvation. So come to him today. Come to him. Let's go to John 10. And he says, not only am I the bread, not only am I the light, but I am the door of the sheep. And who, who are the sheep? Us. We like have gone astray. So everybody look around and go, because that's what y'all are. You're sheep. And sheep have no defenses. Sheep have no sense of direction. And sheep are dumb. Don't ever forget that. <laughs> you ever ne- you've never seen a sheep do a trick, have you? Watch my sheep do a trick. <laughs> now, man, that's all he knows how to do. That neat. And uh, uh, let's, let's go on. Uh, John 10. <laughs> I am the door of the sheep. I am, look, I love the last part of this verse. I am the way into God's presence. Does anybody want to be in God's presence? Well, he is the way. You have to go through Jesus. He is the way into God's presence. And I was reading a magazine this morning. It's called Outreach Magazine. And they were asking uh, unchurched people, unsaved people, you know, what their idea of the last days. And almost every one of them said, you know, all religions point to God. All, no matter what your religion is, all of them lead to God. No, they don't. No, they don't. Jesus said, I am the door. Not a door. Not a bread. Not a light. I am the bread, the light, the way. And if you want to get into God's presence, you've got to come through me. So that's pretty narrow-minded. I know. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Now, y'all remember, I did a series a couple of summers ago on the 23rd Psalms. Anybody remember that? Thank all four of you. Now listen, y'all remember when I told you about the shepherd building the sheepfold and then he would call the sheep at night to bed down? You remember that? And uh, he would say something, you know, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And so the shepherd would say something, he would cup his hands to his mouth and the shepherd would cry out something that made the sheep no, it's time to go to bed. He would say something like this. He would say, sheep. And they would come. <laughs> See, he must be talking to, I mean, they're dumb. You got to say stuff for them. And so um, they would come, and, and this is awesome. They would line up at the door of the sheepfold, and the shepherd would get down on his knees and take his hands and run it through their wool and look for broken places and hurt places. Isn't that good? See, he had three major tools. The shepherd did. He had a rod. How many of you had the shepherd use the rod on you? <laughs> My mom always told me, I'm doing this because I love you. And sometimes she really loved me a lot. <laughs> telling you. And, uh, so, and I know we don't do that anymore. You know, We've learned more te- other techniques. And you don't have to tell us because we see your kids. Um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> did I say that out loud? I, I'm talking about the second service. I'm not talking about y'all. And so, uh, so, you know, we're not going to the Bible anymore. We're going to Dr. Spock. And he needs to stay on the enterprise because I'm telling you, we need to get back in the Bible. So, <laughs> so, so, so uh, um, where was I? And, and so he has the rod, uh, 23rd Psalm, and he has the, the rod is for the stubborn sheep. You remember? And the staff is for the straying sheep. How many of you know sometimes we get away from God because we're just stubborn? 
And sometimes we get away from God just because we took our eye off the ball and we kind of just drifted off. And so he would use the staff. It's got that hook in the end, and he would reach out there and pull them back in because they didn't realize they were drifting away. And, and uh, that's a whole other sermon. Some of you are going away from God because you're stubborn, and some of you are going away from God because you're just taking your eye off the word and taking your eye off of prayer, and you used to serve and you don't serve anymore, and, and you, you say you're taking a break, and what you're actually doing is you're drifting away. And God loves you, and we love you, and we want you to get back in. Amen, amen. That's good preaching right there. And uh, matter of fact, make a tape of this. I want to listen to it later. You can tell I'm old school. I'm still into tapes. Okay, all right. So, so uh, he would run his hands all over them as they were coming into the sheepfold. And he would find a broken place, a, a, a cut place, a bruised place, a place where maybe a snake bit them or, or maybe where another sheep bit them. How many of y'all know sheep bite sheep? Amen. Uh, um, and, and so be careful out there, y'all sheep. And uh, uh, as they were coming in, he, he would just rub them and find those broken places. And then he would take that third tool that he has, the shepherd, and he would, it was oil. And he would pour the oil in that broken place and he would just rub it. I got to tell you something, man. He would do that for you this morning. See, see, some of us have created a hard shell because some bad things have happened to us in our life and we kind of got a... You know, we kind of got this attitude of I'll make it myself and I don't need anybody's help and we've got this shell around us. I'll tell you something, man. Best thing you can do is let that thing go. Let God get his hands all in there. Find those broken places in you and pour the oil in and make you right today. Make you tender before him today. And God wants to do that before you leave this place. So Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you make the sheep fold, it is for the protection of the sheep. It is to keep the wolves from coming in, the bears from coming in, the lions from coming in. But it's also to keep the sheep together and keep them from getting out and straying off. So Jesus said, I'm going to, the shepherd says, I'm going to lay down in the door. Y'all with me? I'm going to lay down in the door of the sheepfold. So if anything gets in to hurt my sheep, they got to go over me. And if any of my sheep get out to stray away, they got to go over me too. He said, I'm the door. I'm the door of the sheepfold. Isn't that beautiful? And then he goes on in John 10. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I am, I am, I am the bread, I am the light, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd mean? It means he's not a hireling. See, a hireling shepherd, when the bears come out and the wolves come out and the enemy comes out, the hireling shepherd, when he sees that bear, he's all heels and elbows, he's running. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I what? Lay down my life for the sheep. Do we know he will do that? Yes, we do, because he did lay down his life for us. He's not just our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And the Bible describes him in another place as the great shepherd. John 11, here's another I am. I am, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. We talked about that earlier in the book of Ephesians. I believe it is. The Bible says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. If you don't, do not know Christ as your personal Savior, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And he is the only thing that can quicken you and bring you back to life. He is the resurrection. He will give you abundant life in the here and now. And he will give you eternal life in the great beyond. He is the resurrection and the life. Then in John 14, we see that verse we all know very well. 
where he says, I am, I am, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then in John 15, we see him say it again, I am, I am, I am the true vine. The true vine, the only source of a fruitful life. You cannot have a fruitful life apart from Jesus. You can, ha- you can do good deeds and do good things, and that's wonderful, but you will never have the impact, eternal impact, that you will have if you are linked to Jesus Christ while you are bearing fruit. As a matter of fact, we don't bear real fruit. We only bear temporary fruit apart from him. We can bear eternal fruit when we're connected to him. You see, he is the vine. He is the main trunk of the vine. We are the little branches coming off. And as long as we're abiding in the vine, then we have fruit. But when we're not, our fruit is temporary. It's temporary, it's like a vapor, it's here and then it's gone. But when you're connected to Jesus and you're serving and blessing other people, it has eternal implications. Y'all, y'all with me out there? So over and over again, he says, I am, I am, I am. And every time he said it to these Jewish leaders, he was guaranteeing his crucifixion. This is what was ticking them off. Remember now, Jesus was not an irritation to them in John Uh, chapter 10, John chapter 8. He was not an irritation. He was a blasphemer. See, when Jesus got through telling these Jewish leaders and these seekers who he was, the only thing they could do, they had two options. The only thing they could do is fall down on their face and proclaim him Lord, or they had to call him a blasphemer. Now, what's confusing in our day is all these people who are telling us Jesus is a good man, good teacher, good prophet, all of that. That's impossible. You can't claim to be God and not be God and still be a good teacher. If you claim to be God and you're not good God, you're a false teacher. And the Bible says false teachers are to be stoned. And that's why when Jesus said, I am they started picking up stones right then. They were going to stone him to death because they knew what the Old Testament demanded. So the sad choice that Jewish people made then and Jewish people make today, and not only do Jewish people make this uh, decision, but so do Gentile people, most of them, is to reject the claims of Jesus as to who he was, make up their own Jesus that is comfortable for them, and and eventually uh, what these Jews did back in that day in John 8 was they put him to death. They put him to death. The Bible talks about us crucifying the Lord anew every time we don't believe his claims. Jesus allows no middle ground, two options, liar or Lord, lunatic or Lord. But let me tell you today, as I have said many times, Jesus is who he claimed to be and he proved it. Now, if Jesus really was God in human flesh, then I think that he would demonstrate that fact by exercising power over things that only God could have power over. So let's look in Mark chapter 2. Now, I know it's 10 o'clock, but the praise team went too long again today. something to make you feel better. Let me just say something to make you feel better. Um, In closing. 
there are doubters among us. Mark 2, first four books of the New Testament are four Gospels. We're going to go to the second one, Mark. And then we're going to go to the second chapter of Mark, and we're going to find a really amazing story that Mark tells. Mark 2, 1 through 4. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a place where Jesus spent a lot of time ministering. It was a little town at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. The Bible says the people heard that he had come home. And this was sort of a home base for him, home of operations there when he was in the Galilee area ministering. And the Bible says in verse 2, so many gathered that there was no room left. So he was in a house, he was in someone's house, and it says so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So not only could you not get in the house to see him, you couldn't even stand on the front porch and, and peep in the door and see him. I mean, they were, it, it was probably, uh, the house was packed and then there was probably layers of people on the outside peering in every crack and crevice because they wanted to see him. They wanted to hear him. He had done some amazing things and at this time, Jesus was very popular. Jesus, in his three and a half years of ministry, went through a time of popularity when people wanted to be with him, and this is during that time. And so they gathered there, and uh, the Bible says at the end of verse 2, and he preached the word to them. I love that. How many of you know if you preach the word and preach it right, it doesn't, it doesn't repel people, it attracts people. Jesus preached the word without compromise, and it didn't make people go away. It attracted them. It attracted them. Verse 3. Some men came bringing him a paralytic, a paralyzed man, a crippled man. And, and four of the people carried this man. He was on a mat, laid on a mat every day of his life, probably crippled from birth, never knew what it was to stand up or be whole or have a, a life that did not have a major handicap attached to it. And so men came and brought this paralytic man and uh, verse 4 says, since they could not get him to Jesus, I love the terminology there. They were trying to get him where? To Jesus. Who, who are you trying to get to Jesus? You got somebody you're working on? You got somebody you're going to fast for in these 21 days? You ought to get a picture of somebody you want to see come to Jesus. And every day when you're fasting, your stomach's growling and, and, and you're giving up that celery and carrots and broccoli and stuff. <laughs> Look at that picture and say, I do this for their salvation. Are y'all with me out there? Who are you leading to Jesus? Who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you bringing to Jesus? So the Bible says they, they verse 4, uh, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus after digging through it and lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, back then, homes were made of mud and sticks and straw, and so it was pretty easy to dig a hole through the roof and drop their friend down. But i got to get you to notice a couple things here. You know, to do a drastic act like this, like take somebody's roof off their house, you've got to really have a lot of faith. Because in order for the person's house they tore the roof off of to kind of forgive them for what they did, this guy really needs to get healed bad. And, and I mean, you know, if I owned the house and didn't really know that much about Jesus and you tore my roof off, dropped the guy down, he didn't get healed, I'd go, all right, when y'all come to fix my roof, you know. So they, they believed, listen to this, 
they believed Jesus could do something to help this man. So I'm asking you as a congregation today, who do you have in your life? And you ought to have more than one. You really ought to have a list of people you're praying for who you know that if somehow we can get them to Jesus, you know, you believe with all of your heart Jesus can help them if we can just get them to Jesus. Now, we have people who come in here and they criticize our lights and they say we're putting on a show and, and all of that. Let me tell you why we, do, why we do that. First of all, I like it. All right? Secondly, when an when a unsaved person walks in here and they see the atmosphere we've created in here, they say, you know what? I don't know what these people are preaching. I don't know what they're saying, but I feel, I feel comfortable in here. I feel at home in here. I enjoy this. I enjoy this music. I enjoy this atmosphere. And they're loving on me, and everybody's so friendly, and everybody's so nice. There's purpose behind the things we do here because we're not just trying to reach a bunch of Christians and keep feeding and feeding and feeding until we're all sitting out there bloated on the spiritual things of God. We're trying to reach the hungry. And I mean spiritually hungry. And so, so they came in and they said, we got to get this man to Jesus. And so we try to create an environment here where you can invite your friends and invite your family and invite people who don't yet believe. And they can walk into an environment and say, you know what? This is okay. This is okay. Because somewhere they got hurt in a church. They got hurt by, by a spiritual leader, by a pastor. And they're finding it very difficult to reconnect back with the church. So the reason we do the things we do here, there's purpose behind it. There's purpose behind it. Now, when you're going to get a person to Jesus, you're going to have to face a couple of restraints. One of them is inside of you and one of them is outside of you. The inside thing that you're going to have to get over is reluctance. Reluctance. Reluctance says, man, I can't do that. I might get embarrassed. They might turn me down. They might laugh at me. But guys, you got to get over reluctance. And you got to understand that the message you have is going to save their soul. So what if they laugh? So what if they say something to mock? Or so what if they're critical? You, they may act like that toward you, but really what you just did is you planted a seed in them. And maybe there were people watching or there were people they thought might have been watching, so they couldn't act humble toward you and appreciative. They had to put on that act. For the people who are, are y'all with me? So get out there and don't be reluctant. Don't shove it in their face. Don't act holier than thou, but just sow the seeds and say, man, I just wish you'd come to my church or I wish you'd come to my small group or, or uh, you know, um, I'm meeting some guys at the coffee shop and some guys that are kind of just talking about the Bible and stuff. Come on out and meet with us and don't be reluctant. Don't be reluctant. How many of you know we don't have much time? And if we're going to win our children, if we're going to win our family, if we're going to win our friends, we've got to get over reluctance. The other thing is barriers that are going to be outside that you've got to get over. Not only the reluctance in you, but they're going to be barriers. We live in, a, in an environment in society today where there are a lot of barriers to telling somebody about Jesus. So you've got to get past those. Let's look, let's look at some of these barriers, and then we're, then we're done. This was not their house. I mean, when these guys got there, this wasn't their house. So, so they're on a roof tearing up somebody's house that isn't their house. 
How many of you know that's a barrier? That's a barrier right there, you know? And, and maybe they didn't even know these people. Who lives here, Earl? I don't know who lives here. Seems I think it's the, the Bernsteins. You know it was Jews. I think it's the Bernstein family. <laughs> you know? uh, I don't know. But, uh, but man, we got to get this guy to Jesus. And they knew uh, when they realized they couldn't get into Jesus, they knew that what they were about to do was going to cause a pretty major disruption. I mean, if we're standing here this morning, I'm preaching like Jesus was standing up in front of those people preaching, and all of a sudden it sounds like rats in the attic up there. Every one of y'all going to do what? Look straight up. Then all of a sudden trash starts falling down. Jesus backs up. Big old chunk of mud falls. A little patch of straw falls over here. Jesus looks up there. All of a sudden he sees this guy coming down. That'll mess up a worship service right there. Now I'm telling you. And then he looks beyond them and sees four heads, <laughs> you know, looking down, going, you know, and I got, I got to figure that, that and I, I just, my imagination kind of goes crazy when I think about what could have went on there. I, I can see them on top of the roof going, Jesus is here. No, he's over here. I'm telling you right now, I got a little peep in there and he's standing right here. And they're arguing because they're acting like a church committee. <clears throat> so then... <laughs> <laughs> you know, a camel was going to be a thoroughbred horse until God turned it over to a committee, and that's what they came up with. But so, and then God saw it and said, Well, that's just funny, so I'm going to leave that. But so they're up there, and then all of a sudden they came together. How many of you know that if this church called Whitley, if our campus is called Whitley the Bridge, if we're going to get lost, broken, hurting, spiritually crippled people to Jesus, we got to work together. We got to cooperate. We got to love each other. We got to be willing to go, you know, I didn't get my way this time, big deal. Let me just hook up. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. And then you know what, down the road, let me tell you what's happened to me a couple times, and y'all aren't going to believe this. But I've really felt strongly about something, but I didn't get my way. Even as the pastor, I didn't get my way. Can you all imagine that? And then later down the road, I was so glad I didn't get my way because it would have never worked. That's why the Bible says we need more than one person making the decisions. We need more than one person counseling and talking about things related to the church. And so the Bible says they finally decided and said, uh, we just believe Jesus is right here. And when they dug the hole, can you, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you see a guy dig the hole and then he looks and just kind of sticks his head down and looks all around and goes, we got it. This is it. You know? And then they make the hole a little bigger. Jesus is backing up. The guy comes down. To do this, they had to be insistent. That's what you got to be. If you're going to get somebody to Jesus in your family, if you're going to get somebody to Jesus in your life, you got to be insistent. You got to be persistent. You got to be courageous. You got to be inventive. You got to be creative. That's why we offer things like Wild Game Night. It gets a bunch of guys in here who don't know the Lord. And we fly birds all over the place. And we bring Freddie up. And he makes us all laugh. And these guys who don't know the Lord go, you know what? I can go to a church like this. Are y'all with me out there? Do you see why we do the things we do? They simply had heard that Jesus healed people. These four guys didn't know a lot about Jesus. They heard he healed people. And they heard not only that he healed people, and I'm going to mess up your theology right here, but they heard he healed people that didn't have much faith. Amen? Now, I'm sick and tired of hearing that you've got to have faith through the roof before God's going to do anything for you. Let me tell you something. God delivered people that had no faith. 
You say, uh-uh, you got to have faith or God can't do anything for you. What about the demoniac of the Gadareans? When he came running up to Jesus, he wasn't coming up because he had faith. He was going to do Jesus harm. And Jesus looked at him and delivered him from those demons. Jesus delivers people with no faith. So these unnamed men, I think that's significant, their names aren't mentioned. I love that. You know, it's Earl and Bob and John and uh, Bartholomew, you know. what? And, and they letting him down and, and they got strong faith. And I gotta tell you something, I'm gonna preach right here and then I'm done. I, I know I'm preaching too long, but get over it. Um, so <laughs> Jesus looks up, now watch this, watch this. Watch this. He didn't see the man's faith. He looked beyond the suffering and saw their faith. You know what that tells me? That God sometimes doesn't heal a person because they're believing, but he heals because of the faith of the intercessors. He sees the faith of the intercessors. You say, well, I got family that don't have any faith in God, so I know they're never going to come. But see, he's, he might look beyond them and see your faith. Don't stop. You remember that sermon Scott Smith preached, Who's holding the ro- whose rope are you holding? See, I gave Scott that sermon. And what, and what? He did a great job with it, didn't he? I didn't give him that sermon, but he only has two, and that's one of them. So, but still, it was good. But I love what the Bible says in verse 5. It says he saw their faith. Four unnamed men. Their faith led to the healing of a man who couldn't believe for himself. So he comes down. And then Jesus, everything was great. Everything was wonderful. We got to remember what we're doing today. We're answering who is Jesus, who is Jesus, who is Jesus. So Jesus gets, Jesus, uh, he gets right there. He gets right in front of Jesus. And you know, if Jesus had done what any self-respecting television evangelist would have done, Jesus would have said, be healed in my name. And then he could have got up off the mat and walked around. Everybody would have been happy. Wouldn't have ticked off the Jewish leaders. He might not have got crucified. It would have been awesome. But that is not what Jesus did. Jesus said something that only God can say. Jesus said, your sins be forgiven. Because Jesus knew that more important than bodily healing is the salvation of a lost soul. Now, any of us can lay hands on the sick and say, in the name of Jesus, we pray you be healed, but only God can forgive sin. And when he said that, they knew it, and they went, whoa. And in Mark 2, 6 through 7, guys, put that verse up. It says, Sound, now some teachers of the law. You remember those guys? They've got the long pipe coming down. I am a teacher of the law. I am very knowledgeable. You've got to watch that crowd. And so they, they said, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's what? He's irritating us. No. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but? So we're back to who is Jesus. 
If I was on the earth and I was God and I wanted people to know I was God, I would say things only God can say. I would do things only God can do. See, listen now. There's some wrong teaching today about miracles. As a matter of fact, there's a focus on miracles above spiritual healing in many churches. I believe in miracles. I know miracles. I get, I get emails and Facebook messages every week about, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. You're not gonna believe. I, I know he's a God of miracles. I know he not only did them in biblical times, but he does them today. But I want to tell you something. The primary reason for miracles in Jesus' day was to establish that he was God. And when miracles happen in our midst, it's not so we can... Uh, rejoice in the miracle itself, but rejoice in the fact that God has been established, that God has been revealed, that people understand only God can do that. Only God can forgive sin. So he dismissed the sin. Now, here's the good news. I'm done. The good news, the good, good news is that the same Jesus who was in that house in Mark 2 is right here this morning. He's right here. And he is here to forgive your sins like he forgave this man's sins. And he is here to heal your body because Jesus went right on. After he forgave him, Jesus healed his body. So the same Jesus... And Mark 2 is in the house of God called Whitley today. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to heal you and touch you. He is that good shepherd. And he's got his bottle of oil out tonight, today. And if you will let him, he will put his fingers into your wool and he will find your broken place and he will pour the oil in. Let him forgive you today. Accept him into your heart as your personal savior. Accept the forgiveness of sin today and become one of his children adopted into the family. Some of you have been running, for God, running from God. You've been offering all kinds of excuses why you won't give your life to God. He wants to forgive your sin today. He wants to come into your life and he wants to touch you. Some of you are so wounded, so broken, so hurt. You're paralyzed. It's like you're tied up in a cocoon. You can't be what God wants you to be. You can't do what God wants you to do. Why don't you just lower, let us lower you down in front of him today and let him forgive your sins and heal your hurt. Would you bow your head with me today? As a matter of fact, you know what let's do? Let's all stand. And we got a big old altar here. Let's all come to the altar. Would you come to the altar this morning? Let's, let's put some wear and tear on the altar today. We're starting our fast today. and You might be in the aisle. You might have to stand in the aisle. But everybody come up as tight as you can. And um, promise nobody's going to lay hands on you or push you around or do something weird to you. If they do, let me know. We're just going to pray together as a family. Come on in tight. Come on in. Are your sins forgiven? Because if your sins are not forgiven, you're lost. And if Jesus came right now, you would not be ready to meet him. I want to make it plain and clear. But right there where you are, without us embarrassing you, you can invite Jesus into your life. Right there where you are, right now. Bow your head. And I want you to talk to God this way. You don't have to use the exact words, but some of you just need to say, God, you, say to God, you need to say, you know what, God? I'm just not going to go any further without you. I'm just not going to go any further without you.
I keep somehow thinking I can do this without you. You remember what God said in the beginning of our service today? Turn. Turn. Turn to me. He's been trying to get some of you to turn forever, but you're stubborn. Turn to him today. Open up your heart. Open the door of your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my marriage. Come into my physical need. Come into my financial need. Come into my life. Take over my life. Forgive my sin. Would you just say that to Jesus right now in your heart? Lord Jesus, forgive my sins and come into my life. I receive you today. Just tell Jesus, I receive you today. No more running from you, God. No more excuses. Today is my day. Come in my heart, Jesus. Forgive my sins. Adopt me into your family. I want to be one of your children. I don't understand it all, God. I don't know how I'm going to walk this thing. I don't know how I'm going to live it out. I, I don't know, but I, I believe this church will help me, and I believe pastor will help me, and I believe others will help me. So today, I give you my life. I'm just not going any further without you. I need you, Jesus. I need you. I need you for the sake of my home. I need you for the sake of my marriage. I need you for the sake of my children. I need you for the sake of my inner joy and peace. I need you. Don't understand everything about you. Got some questions, but that's okay. I know you're what I need, and I receive you. Heal me today. Some of you need to be healed. Open your heart and say, Lord, heal me. Heal my body. Heal me, God, emotionally. Heal my marriage. Heal my relationship with family and friends. And Heal me from depression. Heal me from doubt. Heal me financially. Heal my career. See, when, he's, when the Bible says he's a healer, it doesn't mean he's just a healer of the body. He's a healer of everything. Everything that's broken, he'll pour his oil on you. He's your shepherd. He's your good shepherd. He's your great shepherd, and you are his little lamb. And he will pour his oil on you and heal you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing and what you've done today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, guest, our guest, pick up your gift before you leave at the Guest Welcome Center right there. Those of you who want more information about Jesus, you want to take a packet home with you. Maybe you accepted Christ today. There's a table on this side back there where you can pick up information on how to grow in Jesus. God bless you. Thanks for coming. We love you.